You're listening to a message from Redeemer Bible Church. We hope you'll visit us in person, or you can find more messages like this one at RedeemerBibleChurch.com. The scripture reading this morning is 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. But if you haven't already, please open to 2 Corinthians 5. We'll be looking at one verse today, and then next Sunday we come back to the Gospel of Mark and continue our series. But today we're looking at 2 Corinthians 5.21. The title of this message is, Here We Stand. Here We Stand, Faithfully Declaring and Demonstrating the Gospel in 2024. So would you pray with me before we begin? Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Couldn't have chosen a more appropriate song before the preaching of your word. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Lord, we see ourselves in Exodus 17, when the people grumbled against Moses. But they were really grumbling against you. They were questioning your character. They were questioning your holiness, questioning your goodness, questioning your covenant faithfulness, Lord, and yet, rather than taking the rod of judgment and striking the people, you said, my presence will go before you there at the rock, strike the rock, and water will come out for the people. Lord, we thank you that indeed we see in this a picture of Christ that took the punishment that we, the grumbling, undeserving people, deserved, and rather than punishment, we received life-giving water the water of life indeed. We thank you for the great exchange. We thank you that the sin that we have accrued, you took upon yourself and the righteousness that we could never achieve through your active and passive obedience, Lord, was credited to us. Lord, this message is a scandal as it humbles proud men who want to earn their salvation, who want to put you in their debt, and we can't. We come empty-handed and simply to the cross we claim. So would you come and make this gospel clear today? Would you do something exceedingly above anything we could ask or think? Would you save the lost and strengthen the saved? In Jesus' name, amen. Here we stand faithfully declaring and demonstrating the gospel in 2021. Many of us watch Netflix because we love high-stakes drama. It's not a judgment call on Netflix. Just take a breath. For others like me, the heartwarming allure of a Hallmark movie, and I can think of that cinemagraphic archetype of wonderful acting and editing and all things wholesome and good, that is, wind calls the heart. Amen. I knew I'd have a fellow hearty here somewhere. 
And if Jason Redberg's mom is watching online, she is also a fellow Harvey. So shout out to North Carolina. Many of us watch... <laughs> Redberg's going to kill me. Many of us watch these things because we love drama. We like to be pulled in. Yet I can't think of a more high-stakes drama than what took place over 500 years ago at the Diet of Worms. A young German monk named Martin Luther was on trial for posting his 95 theses in which he challenged the Catholic Church's gospel-obscuring practices. And most notably of them was the sale of indulgences, although there were many other issues on the docket, and he had written against them, calling out the powers that be, asking for a hearing. What he got was a kangaroo court in which he was summoned. Can you imagine this young monk already, as we know, fairly neurotic, fairly prone to anxiety. He's standing before the powers of his day, both the magisterial and political powers of his day, and this, at this moment for him, is indeed life or death. He was nervous. He was even chastised for the first time he appeared. He talked so low and mumbled that people couldn't hear him. And he said, can I have 24 hours to pray and think? Because they gave him no other option. They said, will you recant? He said, please give me 24 hours. And so he did. He wrestled in prayer. He came back. He took courage. And that's where we get these iconic words from the Diet of Worms. He looked him in the eye and he says, do you want an answer plain and without horns? That sounds more like Luther, doesn't it? You want me to tell you how I really feel? He says, my conscience is captive to the word of God. To go against conscience is neither safe for us nor open to us. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. In short, Luther was faithful in his stand against those who would obscure the purity of the gospel of grace. And I'm not a prophet, but I would wager that in the coming year, I'm guessing that 2024 is probably going to be a doozy. Let the hearer understand. I'm guessing that in the coming year, it will be fear that undermines gospel faithfulness. What do I mean? It will be the constant bombardment of warnings from the culture that will seek to erode our commitment to gospel declaration. Don't be a racist. Don't be a bigot. Don't be a homophobe. Don't be an oppressor. Don't be closed-minded. Don't be dogmatic. Don't be judgmental, and maybe don't gather. All of this will tempt us to be ashamed of the gospel. We might like that saying that's been attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. False. Preach the gospel using words. Faith comes through hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. A non-declared gospel is not a gospel. It is a message to be stewarded and transmitted. Amen? 
but it is fear from without and fear within that will tempt us to be ashamed of the gospel and to retreat into silent service rather than clear confession. And yet, in your program today and on our website, you'll find these words. On our website and in your program under the Who We Are mission, we say this week after week and we publicize this to the world 24-7. It says, we exist. Powerful words. Why do we gather as the people of God here in this assembly, in this flock? We exist to do what? To declare and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ so that all people will find their satisfaction in God alone. Pastor Redberg gave us a very clear, compassionate, and compelling call to faithfulness from Daniel 6 last Sunday. And as I've just been thinking all week, be faithful, amen, I agree, I want to get behind what Jason said, and I just want to push as hard as I can in that direction, and I'm looking at the year ahead, I'm looking how things are shaping up, my own fears and anxieties, thinking about you as my, my family, my brothers and sisters in Christ, and what would I say, we get one Sunday here before we jump back into Mark, what would I exhort them to do? I would exhort them to go back and revisit our mission statement that we exist to declare and demonstrate the gospel. And we need to be reminded of the content, the content of the gospel, because in our circles it becomes dangerous because it's gospel everything, gospel this, gospel that, gospel that. We need to go back and ask ourselves, what do we mean when we say we are called to declare the gospel? This was only made more pronounced when I read these words from R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul said, quote, The gospel of Jesus Christ is always at risk of distortion. Martin Luther said the gospel must be defended in every generation. It is the center point of attack by the forces of evil. They know that if they can get rid of the gospel, they can get rid of Christianity. End quote. So I can't think of a better place to go to get the gospel in its most reduced and clear form than 2 Corinthians 5.21. And I want to challenge you going into this year to memorize that verse. Memorize it. It's the gospel in a nutshell. Here's the main point that I'm going to argue for today as we unpack this text. In order to compassionately demonstrate the gospel we must first clearly declare the gospel. In order to compassionately demonstrate the gospel, we must first clearly declare the gospel. As we look at 2 Corinthians 5, 21, we see, number one, humanity's condition. Humanity's condition. When we articulate the message of the gospel, we must be clear about the condition of humanity. So let's read our text one more time. For 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In this verse, which is only 15 words in the original, the Apostle Paul gives a potent explanation of the gospel in its purest form. His opening declaration demands some theological unpacking. So we look at the first three words, 
for our sake. For our sake. Well, the question at this point is, well, who are we? Those three words beg a major, major worldview-shaping question. What is the condition of humanity? Who are we? For what kind of people did Christ die? If we, go, if we don't get anthropology right from a biblical perspective, it will blunt the edge of the gospel, and it will not be amazing grace. Are we inherently good people? Are we actually divine, which is becoming more of the ascendant worldview of those around us? Are we actually divine and just need to discover the truth of ourselves? Because if that's the case, the problem is not sin, the problem is ignorance. Or are we flawed yet capable of atoning for our own wrongdoings? What kind of people are we? Are we generally good people? One local church here in Edina, I'll just say it, it's an ELCA church in Edina, recently developed the Sparkle Creed. If you've never heard the Sparkle, Sparkle Creed in your study of Christian history, it's because it's a new invention. And here's a couple of lines from the Sparkle Creed. I believe in the non-binary God whose pronouns are plural. I believe in Jesus Christ, their child, who wore a fabulous tunic and had two dads and who saw everyone as a child of God. That's blasphemy. It's heretical. But I think it taps into the prevailing worldview of the day that we're all children of God, right? The brotherhood of man. We're all inherently good people that just need to be self-actualized. That's the world we live in. Yet John MacArthur says this. Talk about a whiplash from the Sparkle Creed to John MacArthur. <laughs> I feel like on my neck. <laughs> John MacArthur says, quote, the damning lie of false religion is that man can reconcile himself to God by his own efforts, but all attempts to do so are futile. Beloved, gospel faithfulness, because these first three words, for our sake, gospel faithfulness demands that we compassionately yet clearly tell lost people the truth about themselves. Who is the hour in for our sake? It will not be amazing grace if we don't tell them Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, which says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Beloved, they will not sing amazing grace if when we say, for our sake, if we don't tell them Romans 3, 10 through 12, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. 
We cannot sing amazing grace when we say for our sake if we don't tell them the truth of Isaiah 64, 6. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Beloved, faithfulness to the gospel will cause us to lose friends and forfeit opportunities and garner mockery from those for whom we are the most burdened. When we tell them what for our sake actually means, we need to hear the words of the master. When Jesus said in Matthew 19, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. So in this gospel, here we stand because gospel faithfulness in 2024 will require that we tell the truth about humanity's condition for our sake. And then the second thing is that we tell the truth about God's character. Humanity's condition and God's character. Back to verse 21, for our sake. So we got our anthropology right. He made him. So we want to focus on that first he. We want to get our theology right. He made him to be sin. The scandal of the gospel is heightened when we realize the character of the one against whom we have sinned. What does it mean to say, for our sake, he made him? Who is it, who is it that we've sinned against? Why? If you just back up, and let's go to verse 18, and notice how many times the theme of reconciliation is drawn out. Verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 5, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Do you see a theme? To be reconciled means there's a division. It means there's enmity. It means there's conflict. We have to have that in context as we come to verse 21. For our sake, he, the very one with whom we have enmity, the very one whose law we have broken. Forgive me, one more R.C. Sproul quote and I'll stop. Sproul defines sin this way. Sin is cosmic treason. What I mean by that statement is that even the slightest sin that a creature commits against his creator does violence to the creator's holiness and his glory and his righteousness. Every sin, no matter how seemingly insignificant, is an act of rebellion against the sovereign God who reigns and rules over us and as such is an act of treason against the cosmic king. Gospel faithfulness, as we unpack it from 2 Corinthians 5.21, demands not only we say, for our sake, who are we, inherently good people worthy of saving? No, enemies, rebels, lawbreakers, against whom have we sinned? 
we go to Isaiah 6, it tells us very plainly that the angels in his presence do what? They cover their faces and their feet and they fly and they cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. What are they declaring? There is nothing like him. He is being itself. There is nothing above him. He is pure. He is righteous. He is the I am. It would be really awkward if the chief of police came in and you saw me spit on his uniform, which I would not do. But if I did, you would take a breath. Why? Because I have violated someone with inherent authority. How much more when we sin against the creator who gives us breath, who calls planets into being, whose law is written on our hearts, and whose glory we suppress daily, the one who even angels declare is holy. It is that one against whom we have sinned. He is not a judge who takes bribes. For our sake, he, that one, made him to be sin, who knew no sin. When we get that dichotomy settled in our minds and we declare that dichotomy, the sinfulness of man, not the divinity, not the goodness, the sinfulness of man and the holiness of a sovereign God who will be in debt to no one, we're prepared for the shock of the gospel when we read these words that we've heard a thousand times. And yet when we have that dichotomy as the framework, the gospel comes alive. For God, that God, so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Romans 5, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Do you see the scandal? For our sake, depraved, twisted, law-breaking villains, that God... Lest we forget what he has done in ages past, calling planets into being, flooding the world. That God, who is being declared thrice holy right now, loved the world and sent his son that we should not perish. This was at the heart of the Protestant Reformation, and it must be defined and defended and declared in every generation to our students, to our young people, to our young adults. Martin Luther said that we're always one generation away from the gospel being obscured. There are a million temptations coming at you and will increase to just blunt the edge. Go ahead and talk about Jesus, but just make him a way. Go ahead and talk about God, but just make him a, a Santa Claus figure in the sky. Go ahead and talk about your religious proclivities because, you know, we're all kind of spiritual. But don't put any sharp edges on that. Don't tell me I'm a sinner. Don't tell me God's in control. And certainly don't tell me Jesus is the only way to heaven. That will be the message you receive. Are you prepared to take up 
the baton and to declare and demonstrate the gospel in the ages ahead. That's been our prayer, and it will continue to be our prayer. Gospel faithfulness calls for us to articulate humanity's condition, to articulate the character of God, and thirdly, praise the Lord to articulate Christ's compassion. Humanity's condition, God's character, Christ's compassion. Back to verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we, which is the same hour, might become the righteousness of God. It is this doctrine, the doctrine of imputation, that was at the heart of the Reformation, and it remains a critical divide between Roman Catholics and Protestants today. What do I mean is, are we saved, the us, the depraved ones, the sinful ones, are we saved because we become inherently righteous? We are made inherently holy. Or is our hope founded in the fact that we are saved because we have righteousness given to us? There is a world of difference between being told you will do these things until you become inherently righteous and then you can enter into the presence of God or you, even though you are very aware of your sinfulness, here not guilty from the throne of judgment. You are declared righteous. Think of the drama. We mentioned drama in the beginning. Think of the drama on the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16. The two goats are there. One they have die cast to see which one will live, which one will die. One is slaughtered for the sins of the people. Blood is shed. And then the other one, you see the high priest go over and put his hands on the head of that other goat. What is he doing? He's confessing the sins of the people. And then that goat is sent away. This is the high drama of the Day of Atonement. And what, what is it meant to show us? What is it meant to, to shadow for the people of God in the Old Testament and certainly meant to broadcast for the people of God today? Thank you, Lord, that we have the Lamb, not a goat, but we have the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. He dies to satisfy God's wrath, and he takes away my sin. Propitiation and expiation. This is what we are getting at here in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin, not a scapegoat, but a lamb, the lamb, our sin. Make it personal. What sin? What bothers my conscience? What keeps me up? What do I know that I have done that has offended holiness? That placed on Christ. And his perfect, pristine life of law-keeping 
never failing a moment, live the life that I could not live and you could not live. The law was fulfilled. You hear that, conscience? Justice has been satisfied. Not because I kept the law, but because he did. And when he said, it is finished, the wrath of God was satisfied for me. This is what it means when we sing Rock of Ages. Be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. Take my sin away, but give me something. Lord, clothe me in the righteousness that I know I lack so that I can stand before God and say, Abba. That's what he's getting at in verse 21. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin. This is the great exchange of the gospel. This is what Charles Spurgeon was getting at when taking on the words of Christ, he says this, quote, There, poor sinner, take my garment and put it on. You shall stand before God as if you were Christ, and I will stand before God as if I had been the sinner. I will suffer in the sinner's place, and you shall be rewarded for works that you did not do, but which I did for you. That's the scandal of the gospel. And if we get the our right and our unworthiness, and we get the he right, the sovereign one, the holy one, and then we have this huge picture of what Christ has done in the gospels, not about just doing nice things, but it's a scandalous message that we, the vile, the broken, cannot just eke our way into heaven. No, that we can stand confidently clothed in the perfect righteousness of Christ, and we can say, holy, 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 and join with the angels and not get kicked out, but be accepted and be adopted. And we cry, Abba, and he says, yes, he answers back. All of this ours, free in Christ, that's a scandal. And that's the gospel, and that changes lives, and that keeps saints persevering. And you will be the aroma of life to some and the aroma of death to others. But this is the message that we are called to steward. We get a little picture of this, don't we, in the story of Noah. I read this the other day in my Bible reading. I'd never seen a connection with this before in the gospel, but it says in Genesis 9 that Noah began to be a man of the soil and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it on both their shoulders, and they walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. And with 2 Corinthians 5.21 in mind, it hit me in my mind that that's me. The Lord came to me, and literally in my drunkenness, in my defilement, in my shame, my uncoveredness. And Christ took my sin away, and he laid his garment on me. And that garment is the perfect righteousness of a holy Savior. 
This is the great exchange, and this is what we are declaring in 2 Corinthians 5.21 when we say, for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you are in Christ by faith alone, through grace alone, hear me. Martin Luther said we have to... <laughs> Beat the gospel into our heads every day. If you say to yourself, I'm trusting in Christ. My faith might be weak, it might be battered, but I'm trusting in him. Beloved, you need to be reminded today and you'll need to be reminded again tomorrow and the next day that the salvation that was wrought for you by this one who took your sin upon himself and his righteousness was imputed to you, you're not 99% saved. You are 100% saved. There is therefore now no condemnation for you because you are in Christ. You wear the garments of another and you are fully accepted before the Father. If you are not in Christ... You know I stand away from him. I've never repented. I've never put my faith in him. If you know that that's you. I know very little about you, but I do know this. You, you have a conscience. You're made in the image of God, and you have a sense of absolute right and wrong. And if you say, no, I don't, I'll come steal your wallet, and then we can argue. If you are outside of Christ, you are doomed to pursue a righteousness by works. You will try to be moral. You will try to be religious. You will try to be spiritual. You will try to do a million other things. But it will never assuage. It will never satisfy because you need to wear the garments of perfect righteousness that can cover not only your good so-called good deeds going forward, which are not good enough, but it can cover your bad record in the past that you could do nothing about. And there is only one who has the capacity and the compassion to offer you that. It is not Allah, it is not Muhammad, it is not Buddha, it is not any other DIY religion. Jesus Christ alone says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Why not? Because you can't earn it. We can't do enough. We have to wear his garments, and he offers it to you freely. But he demands that you put down your weapons. Stop justifying yourself. Stop trying to eke out some sense of righteousness. He says, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Gospel faithfulness, beloved, in 2024, <laughs> as we have said in our mission statement, is, yes, demonstrating we aim to love our neighbor well. Amen. We aim to give meals and shovel driveways and bless. And at work, we're going to work hard to the glory of God. We're going to do a lot of things in silence for the glory of God. But it says not only do we exist to demonstrate, we exist to declare. And that's the part, that's the part that's going to get you in trouble. You want to go rake leaves in someone's yard? Probably won't get persecuted. But you go out into this world and tell 
with as much compassion as you can. You are broken. You are vile. You are hell-bound. God is holy. He owes us nothing. He is sovereign, and he has given his lamb, and he is the only way to heaven. And you need to repent and turn and fall on him in complete dependence. When you declare that, might get you in trouble, but you will also see people get saved. Beloved, we are called to gospel faithfulness, so here we stand. 2 Corinthians 5.21 is just a, an encapsulation of this gospel message, and by God's sustaining grace, and this is my prayer for me, it's my prayer for us, come what may, we will remain standing in 2024. We will not bow to the gods of humanism. We will not bow to the gods of secularism. We will not bow to the gods of sexual perversion. We will not bow to the ideologues who preach that pluralism is true and truth is relative. We will not bow to so-called Christians and Christian leaders who view the gospel as nothing more than social justice rather than a scandalous message. There is too much at stake, God's glory and the souls of men and women. As we bow only to King Jesus, we will find strength to stand before the gods of this age. Here in the gospel we stand, we can do no other. God help us, amen. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We thank you for the truth of 2 Corinthians 5.21. The scandalous truth, the great exchange for our sake. You made him who knew no sin to be sin. Lord, this double imputation so that in him, by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, Lord, your word does not say that we might become tolerable, that we might become savable. It says that we might become the righteousness of God. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters who, like me, struggle with gospel amnesia. They forget who they are. They forget the clothes that they wear are given freely by a Jesus who knows them by name, died for their sins, loves them eternally, and clothes them with his perfect righteousness and will bring them home. God, would you remind us of the power of the gospel that when we pray on our best days and our worst, we are coming into the presence of what Jonathan Edwards called the eternally happy God whose wrath is spent, whose justice is upheld. And we wear the garments of Christ. Our shame and our nakedness and our deformity, it's all covered. Lord, would you bless your people and ground them in that scandalous truth so that in the waves of controversy or false teaching or fear are just the slow erosion of a godless age should threaten to undo them. Lord, I pray that this gospel would help them sing, let good and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill, but it's your truth, Lord, that abideth still. We bless you for this gospel. Help us to declare it with compassion, 
and conviction. In Jesus' name, amen. At this time, we have the joy of transitioning to the Lord's table. In just a moment, the ushers, of course, will bring the elements out. But the Word of God calls us to a time of reflection, sober reflection, before we come to the table. To recognize once again that we are the for our sake of 2 Corinthians 5.21. But also to remember the rest of 2 Corinthians 5.21. That these things represent and draw to mind the fact that he who knew no sin became sin. So that in him you might become the righteousness of God. How dare sinners come to the table of the king and stretch out their hand to take his food. If only they are beckoned to come. And like broken Mephibosheth sit at the king and his table all the days of his life and ate like one of his sons. It is because of this gospel that that's our reality. You do not have to be a member of this church, but the word of God says that you must be a member of the body of Christ proper, meaning you've repented of your sin, put your faith alone in Christ alone, and been baptized in his name. And if that be you, you are welcome to the king's table to eat and remember Let's take some time to pray, and not only pray, but to preach to ourselves this glorious gospel.